we've been, um, for a while now, we've been looking at relationships matter. And uh, we've been looking at a number of different aspects of that. Um, if you're visiting us or a new, give him a sec. If you're visiting us or a new, we really feel that, that, that sense of responsibility from God to be in deep relationship with one another. And we call it all different things. We've called it family. That is very, very strong. And we talk about being a church family and not a church for families. Yeah. And that includes all of us. We talk about community, but that's used so often. I think another word that, that really gets the depth of it is that sense of tribe. That sense of belonging to something that is bigger than just me. That is bigger than just who, who I am. And it's interesting that, um, that God called the Hebrews his people, who were very tribal. Now, did God call them his people because they were tribal or were they his people so they became tribal? Um, but they had a real deep sense of actually it's not about me, it is about something bigger. It is about a group of people and what I want is secondary to the body. I mean, how counterculture is that? We live in a world where our, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires... Our rights, my rights, are paramount, and everything else is secondary. God teaches that you are part of a body, and you have your place. You know, everyone has their place. We'll look at that next week. But that we're part of a body that is bigger than just me or you. And we took a shift in these last couple of weeks and moving forward into perhaps not looking about how I communicate, how I forgive, how I watch the tongue, how I deal with conflict, to how us as a body, as a group of people, will move together. Relationships matter. God's desire for a community of believers. And last week we looked at holiness and thank you for your feedback and for your comments and how actually God has separated us and he separates us. Do you remember that dreadful attempt to cut out things? Yeah. Um, and he separated us and he forms us into one body here. And this morning we move on to unity. Unity in the body of Christ. John 17, 20 to 23 says this. I do not pray for these alone, He'd just previously been speaking and praying for his, his 12 disciples, those that God had given him. So I do not pray for my disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, I, that they all may be one, as you the Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and, glory, and the glory which you gave me I have given them." that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and have loved them as you have loved me. Amen. 
I mean, gosh, just in reading that again this morning, in fact, I didn't see it beforehand, but gosh, our unity, our, our oneness is a direct missional call. It's a missional call that shows others there's something different. And of course it is. James, no, John 13, 34 to 35, and a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does that love do? By this, it demonstrates that you are my disciples. When we are in unity with one another in the body, it's missional. It demonstrates something that actually the world wants. The world not only wants, but needs. And that is Christ. In this passage here, Jesus, who has just prayed for his direct disciples, extends this call that they may be one as we are one. Not just to his disciples, but to all of us for all time. And it's interesting. It says here, look, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. <laughs> he, he, he tagged the disciples with the responsibility, the great commission. As I have taught you, go and teach others. It is their word that ascended from Jesus that we are to believe and causes us to be one. So it's not just to the disciples, but all of us for all time who would believe in Jesus because of their word. Jesus' heart was that his church would be one. The whole church on this globe would be one. Malcolm Duncan, in his book, um, on, on unity, all for one, says this. There are around 2 billion Christians. This was written or published at least in 2017. There are 2 billion Christians in the world that amounts to one-third of the world's population. Within that, there are approximately 36,000 different denominations and Christian streams that exist today and they are divided into five main blocks. One billion are Roman Catholics, there or thereabouts. Four, 400 million are Protestants. 220 million Orthodox Church. 85 million are Anglicans. And 275 million who would label themselves as independent. I don't like the word independent. I don't want to be independent. And if we have to label, I suppose it's non-denominational. But let's face it, that's a denomination in itself. Yet there is one church and not five. And I don't know where to start. I thought, gosh, Lord, this, this is so huge. How do we talk about this? Because, to be honest, we've got no concept of two billion people. And how can we talk about this in that light? Because it then just can feel unobtainable, idealistic, something that is nice to say and we nod to, but we don't live out. So this morning... Look around. Look around at each other. We'll, do, we'll talk about unity in the context of this local body here that is called Solihull Christian Fellowship. And God's call for us as a church body to be in unity with one another. Look at what Paul says. Ephesians 4, 1-6 I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to, work, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your 
calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One. Queen got it right. There is one vision, one Lord, one hope. What they never, well, what they did not sing about is that that hope is Jesus. Unity is bigger than just how churches relate. It is huge. It's not just about how well we get on with with Shirley churches together. We had a commission, a committee meeting on Wednesday, and we talked about something that we want to do together, which I'll, I'll talk to you as I've shared it with others and cascaded it down. It's just one expression of God's church. But it's bigger than just different churches in Shirley getting along. It's how families work. It's how friends talk to one another. It's how friends talk about one another. How charities and businesses, Christian charities, Christian businesses are run, and how we treat one another privately and publicly. Unity goes deep. It cannot be passive. It has to be active. Unity is about how we view one another, treat one another, and think of one another all the time. Unity is a heart issue, and protecting it should be one of our highest priorities. Because unity is powerful. Look at this. Genesis 11, 1 to 9. I'm going to need my glasses. <laughs> Do you know when you're like there and you're like struggling, it's like I can just about see, I can just about see, I'll keep going. Oh no, what line are we on? Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shina and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the sea, sea, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. It's what we've been talking about. This is good, isn't it? And they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Different interpretations said, nothing will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the earth. The very thing they feared, God did anyway. And they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there was the Lord confused the language of all the earth. From there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is an incredible scripture. Look Look at it in the light of being one, of being in unity. God comes down and says, let's investigate. Let us go into the city that I've been hearing about. God's own words were indeed, the people are one. Wasn't this his heart, that they were all one? His next statement should grab us. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Nothing 
will be impossible. Why? Because of the power of unity. We can take godly principles, remove God from them, and they still work. The power of forgiveness outside of God is still incredibly powerful, but it is a godly principle. And there are others like that as well. God has set something within his own creation that when they come together with one heart and one mind, they are unstoppable. So much so that he had to come and stop them. Do you know why? Because they were one, yes, but one with one another. Outside of God. Look at their attitude. Let us make us a name for ourselves. Let us show the world what we can do. And God says, this isn't the type of unity I want. This isn't the type of oneness I want. I will separate. What we miss is the power of unity. Imagine what a group of people can do when they are one in Christ. God doesn't go, look, look. Is there nothing that they can do? He says, look, look. Is there nothing they cannot do? He shows us off. Why? Because it's in him. Look at Jesus' words back in John 17, verse 11 and 21, that they may be one, yes, as we are one, in the image, in relationship, in the way the Trinity worked. And again, in verse 21, that they all may be one, So it's not just his disciples, it extends to everyone for all time. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. It's about being one in God. It's about having a unity in him and through him. Oh, there we go. So what does unity look like? Here's a quote from Tozer. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer relationship, closer fellowship? Our unity is actually in becoming more like Jesus. I thought that is a great image of the tuning fork. They, they don't get together and say, so how can we be of one mind, of one heart, of one accord? Their focus is on something else. The true north, the thing that doesn't change. Yeah, I, I couldn't get a tuning fork in time, but you know that it resonates. And it resonates for a long time that it will allow you to get right there. And actually, as the two sounds align, as they get closer, you start to go, whoa, 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 whoa. And you know you're close, but you're not there. Then all of a sudden, they become the same. And it's just, there's no separation. Ooh, those people who tune a guitar with, Phonics will understand that. And it echoes and it gets in line and you cannot hear the two tones anymore because they are perfectly attuned. Not to each other that way, that way. And actually though, when I tune a guitar to each other and when we are in isolation, those two guitars sound great. When I come to another guitar that has been tuned by a pitching fork, a tuning fork, I realise we're out. I realise we're out. So actually, remove God, and you can think, wow, we're doing incredible. We're, we're all flowing, we're all of the same, we're sounding the same. It's God's standard 
that lets us know where we're at in unity with each other. And our focus needs to be become more like him. Where did we start on holiness? It's actually becoming conformed and transformed to the image of Jesus. It's the same for unity. Our desire is that we become more like him. And as a result, we're in unity with each other. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are all here because we are part of God's family. We all have the same father. We all have been redeemed by the same Son. We are all empowered by the same Holy Spirit. We can all trace our liberty and our freedom back to the same man who over the course of 33 to 34 years set a course of events that evolved around his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, him pouring out of his spirit upon us and the promise of his return. Ultimately, our unity is seated and begins and ends in our desire to be like him. I do wonder whether we spend too much time trying to agree with one another and not enough time asking God to make us more like him. I wonder if our idea of unity isn't sometimes to ask God to make others to be more like me. Looking closely at the Greek in John 17, 20, I do not pray for those alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. It has the idea of unity that it is embedded in the word of God and our faith in God. The starting point is God and his word that causes us to be in unity with one another. It does not start with each one of us seeking to agree. It's where we get off of kilt. That was that one. This type of unity is not easy. It's not simple. It's not light, it's not a superficial unity. It has a basis in the Father and the Son. It's not agreeing to disagree. It's not actually not dealing with difficult issues. This this type of unity that, 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 that Jesus is praying, that John has captured, actually needs to be worked at. It cannot be passive, it cannot be gentle. Unity is not tolerance. Tolerance, it may have been once. I've even heard from this platform many years ago, the gospel is tolerance. But it's one of those words that has evolved. And it doesn't mean, maybe, I didn't even look what it meant to mean. Tolerance today says, we can have our our, our different views. You have your truth and I have my truth. And while you don't make your truth my truth, and I don't make my truth your truth, we're okay. We're all okay. However, I'll become, I won't be tolerant if you become intolerant of the way I work. It's something that says, let's just not address things. Let's just agree to just see things differently. That's not unity. That is not unity. Unity is not agreeing with sin. Unity is not actually seeking not to address sin issues in our lives. Well, I'll I'll be in unity with you and we just don't say anything. We address sin issues. It's not, you cannot be in unity with sin. Paul talks about that, about joining the body of Christ to a harlot. You can't do it. 
Unity isn't not addressing issues. Just so we're all on the same page. But deep down we know that actually if we scratch it and if we started to, loads of things. Unity is not avoiding hard conversations. Let me just get back to some notes. Unity is not avoiding hard conversations or difficult discussions around beliefs or mission or behaviours. Christian unity is not the art of avoiding these things, but addressing, but addressing them. It's not about leaving the table, nor is it about giving up on truth for the sake of unity. The unity that God, that Jesus is talking about, makes it much more harder. But boy, it would enrich us. It's harder to do because sometimes it's easy not to address things for the sake of peace. It's easy to let things go. That's not the unity that, that, that Jesus is talking about. In that, we need to learn to disagree well. We need to learn to honour one another even in our disagreements, even when we see things differently. What did Paul say? Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. There's an understanding when something is said out of kilter, out of place. Bearing with one another because Christ called us to be one. Christ has called us to be one. 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 11 talk about debatable matters, making primary and secondary issues. At its core, let me just go down, he talks about, we haven't got time to delve into those passages, he, but Paul here talks about those who do not eat meat having a weaker conscience, who do not eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols, because, oh no, that's tainted. He says they have a weaker conscience, but he says, do not let this matter divide you. He called these debatable. Don't worry about them. Don't sweat the small stuff. He encourages those who call, he calls stronger not to put a stumbling block in the way of others. Our actions need to reflect a fundamental commitment to one another. That if this is causing you an issue, he talks about then, then actually don't do it. You as the stronger don't actually lead your brother into having an issue. It's about not making it the main thing. Now, there's no hint, as I read about this, there's no hint that we shouldn't address things or we shouldn't, over time, learn to teach a better and a broader understanding. But it's when we make it the main thing. It's when actually this becomes a salvation issue, we sometimes call. Or this becomes something bigger than it is. He says, in, in the unity I'm talking about, there's room for difference of opinion. There's room to see things differently. There's room to have a different special day if you have to have one. There's room to serve alcoholic wine and juice in communion. There's room for different styles of worship. There's room for it. Don't make it something that will divide you. It's not about that. Too often we focus on secondary matters. That's it. Style of worship, observance of holy days, ways of meeting together. These are secondary. And the problem is, is sometimes we make a secondary issue primary. And we start to teach people and say, actually, for us to be in relationship, you've got to see it the same way. It's not what God says. 
It doesn't mean we don't grow as Christians. It doesn't mean we don't grow in our understanding. It doesn't mean that somebody who couldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols cannot be shown at the right time and the right place that actually God has made us free. It doesn't mean that, but it's a desire also not to be right. We are right creates war. And when there's a heart that says, I am right in this issue, and I will make sure you know I'm right, we we just lose it. And we can dress it up under the banner of, actually, I've just said, we need to have difficult conversations. We need to have it. But I'm surprised how often I don't need to, because I'm realising I'm making something of more importance than it, it needs to be. And a desire and a drive to have difficult conversations can in itself be dangerous. What's behind that? It's like a paradox. Well, do I have them or not? We work that out in relationship and unity. The primary things, Christ as God, the gift of grace, tolerance of sin, all these are primary and more. It is a willingness to not make a secondary thing a primary thing. Because it just creates division. It just creates division. And there has to be a willingness for us to say, actually, I don't need to be right in this moment. I don't need to make a point in this moment. And then it's a paradox that actually, though, we drive into difficult conversations. We do not let it go for the sake of a weak unity. What are we saying, Ben? We've got to work both. You see, the more we have love for one another, the more actually those conversations become easier and a sense as to when to have them and when not. This sounds so easy, it's simple. When we stand there, we all nod. Oh, unity, absolutely. But in the moment, with something that has become important to you, is shown in a different light, but it's just a secondary issue. It's that moment, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It doesn't necessarily mean you need to address it. It doesn't mean that. If we're going to be divided, be divided over a primary issue. People that cannot see Christ is the Son of God. We had a conversation with some friends over the summer and they started to talk to us about how actually there are many ways to God. These are people that have been Christians all their lives. And actually now they've come to us and stand for the Christians. It's Jesus for something else. It's something else. And as it just wasn't, I just was caught of a back. I thought, what are they saying? That's something to be divided about. Not the colour of that wall. Or even the style of our worship. Unity like this is active. It cannot be passive. It needs to be worked at and worked through. Why? Indeed, the people are one in me. There is nothing they now cannot do. Do you get that? There is nothing they now cannot do. And I've realised that actually if the church globally focused on being more like him, then actually we would be one church. That's how we do it. We have our focus on being like him, being one in him, and God turns around and looks at the local expressions and says, nothing is impossible. Whatever you put your hand to do, it will come to pass. Why? Because of the strength and the power of unity. Amen? This type of unity needs to be driven into full force. It cannot be passive. It doesn't just happen 
because we decide we want it to. It doesn't just happen because you hear a great sermon on unity. Nor is it a season of tough conversations just so we can work out and get this right. But it needs thoughtful, driving forward with a desire to be one. It's letting things go that are not important for the sake of unity and love of our brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. When I did some study with Springdale, at the end of every module, we had to do a a thousand-word reflection, and they gave us a ten percent leeway, which was eleven hundred words. My first writing every single time was never below 1,500 words. Sometimes it was double. 2,000 words, you're like, oh my word. And you submitted it electronically and it would go through this thing that made sure you hadn't plagiarised. Yeah, and it would, it would give you your percentage that you'd pinched, you know, and, and you had to then check because your quotes would look like they were plagiarised. But it, it would go through. If I put something through at 1,500 words, it would go through and the marker would look at the word count and discount it. Wouldn't even read it. And at the beginning, I would spend hours agonising what to cut out. Because it was blooming good. What I'd written in 2,000 words was brilliant. And I wanted every bit of it in. And when I would focus in on a point, I would go, but that point is so good. I can't let it go. I can't. But what was I going to do? I'd fail the course if I started to submit things. I had no choice. And I remember the first time after spending what felt like a whole morning agonising about what to drop, I then came out. I'd been focusing so closely on my, on my issues or on my points that I liked. It was when I came out and looked at the exam question as a whole. And I was enabled as I looked out to see the whole and think, what is really going to be helpful? And you know what? There were some incredible quotes that were mine that went on the cutting room floor. They were right. It wasn't like they were error. Well, actually, that's not a right thing. They were right. They were the word of God. They were correct. But actually, when I took a step out, it actually just wasn't really necessary in what I've been asked to do. Do you see that? When we relate it back, we can get so close to our point that means so much in our lives that actually we can miss the bigger picture. And we can push something that actually when you take a step back, it's just not needed. There was always 1,100 words in my 1,000-word essay. Yeah, it was very unlikely to, to submit some at bang on 1,000 because boy can I talk. But you see that? Actually, there were things that were true and right that I didn't say. And the marker would never know how great that point was because when I came back, it wasn't really that important in the grand scheme of things. Do you see that in unity? And this is a level of unity that God calls us into as a community of believers. And it is difficult when you feel out of unity and out of kilter. 
And it is so easy to leave the table. It is so easy to leave the table. And it is, but it, and it is difficult to stay at the table. It's painful. You risk being misunderstood, saying something wrong in the heat. But when we stay at the table, it's so much richer. And it reflects Christ more. Why is unity important? Because when we are one in him... God's word tells us there is nothing we cannot do as a body of believers. Do you want that kind of unity? Because it can't be passive. It can't just be a nod of the head. And there has to be a decision to drive into it. So I just want to create some space in the five minutes that I'll have left, if that, for us to together make a response. And to simply say that if you want that unity, and if you're willing, as members of Solihull Christian Fellowship, to seek that out, would you stand? Yes, would you stand? And just hold out your hands. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us all individually, Father God, about the role we have in becoming more like you? Lord, would you really challenge us, Father God, to become more like your tuning fork? Father, would we be aligned to the image of you, which means that we'll look like one another. Father, would you speak to us individually about those secondary issues that we hold as too important? Holy Spirit, would you help us let go of the things that you are saying are not important? Holy Spirit, would you Enable us to take a step back out of the specific and look at what you're doing as a whole. Father, would you cause us as a body here, made up of many individuals, to look and reflect more like you? Father, would you help us prune us, sharpen us and shape us to be one as you are one. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, church.